Genesis, chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons, his sons' wives with him, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, and of animals that are not clean, and of birds, and of every creeping thing that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock, according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and every bird, according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. 
the flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevail on the earth, 150 days. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. TGD, thank you very much for reading that for me. And hello, everybody. Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church. We're glad that you're here. And uh, thanks for praying for me this week. I appreciate that. Um, I am using the chair. No one, um, or the bench, no one would want me to fall over, right? Right, no? I, I told you the story one time, right, about I went to the dentist. I told you the story. And trip going up, and everybody inside the dentist office saw that happen. And so they, were, they all came out, and they're all worried, like, could, can this guy get up? And I got up right away, and there was a patient, an older gentleman in the office who saw me. I mean, the dentist came out. The uh, nurse, I mean, they were all worried about me. But there was an older gentleman in the dentist office that came out, and after they, by that time, I was back up and, you know, and trying to soothe my uh, embarrassment and all of that. And he said, boy, it's, this older guy said, Boy, it's a good thing. He said, it would have taken all of us to help you get, get you up if that's, uh, you know, if you fell over. So anyway, uh, thanks for praying for me. Last Sunday, I spoke at Pastor Lee Cleaver's church up in Mahopany, and he sends his greetings. He was the pastor here before, uh, before Pastor Todd. And uh, he, a year ago this week, he got sick and was in intensive care and, um, yeah, in, on, an, on a ventilator for almost six weeks. And it's amazing how God is using him and, and Colleen there. And they, they send their greeting as well. But um, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Please take your Bibles and turn to the passage that TGD wrote, read for me. And that is Genesis chapter 6. The story of the flood actually goes for uh, till the end of chapter 9. And I, I, there's no way that we could cover all of the story of the flood and I would just encourage you to make sure that, uh, that you read it sometime because this is one of the amazing stories of Scripture. The story of uh, Noah and, and the global flood. I've entitled the message today, you're going you're gonna to build a what? Because at that point, um, they didn't even know what a boat was. They had no idea as far as we know, what rain was. They had no idea what, you know, that, that a storm or anything like that, and let alone like an ark. And, and so the question I'm sure that he was asked was this, and that is, you're going to build a what? But I want to talk with us today about uh, the kind of person, because this passage, and, and what we've done in this series on Journey to Jesus is that it's kind of a two-part 
This is a great story of God's grace and salvation through Jesus. It really is. And Pastor Todd is going to come next week and talk with you more about that as well. Okay, now TGD read the story about this global flood. Anybody remember or does anybody know this date that's on the, on the Joe, what is it? The flood that was in Homestead. Yeah, Hurricane Agnes. Actually, in 1972, uh, that was the year I graduated from high school. Don't laugh. Don't, some of you feel really sad at this moment. And yeah, Okay, and so that May or the beginning of June, I graduated, and my, my brother and me uh, got a job to help us pay for college at uh, Procter & Gamble, which is in Mahopany, and it's right outside of Tunkhannock. And the, it is right on the river. And we, we came down from, uh, from Montrose, which is a high point. Uh, you know, it's Mont, Mount Rose. And so we would, we would drive down and cut over to the plant. And so we could get to work. But tons of people, and that plant runs, a lot of it runs on steam. And, and it was just devastating. The city of this town of Tunkhannock, um, which I think means uh, bend in the river. So I'm not sure what it means, but but uh, was was underwater. Uh, Tunkhannock, the water was higher than the traffic lights, and there's still, after all of these years, one spot where they marked what the water level was, which is like in the middle of the second floor of second floor of some of the uh, stores in downtown Tunkhannock. And, and uh, again, we, we were working at Procter & Gamble, and one night in the middle of all of this, and finally they shut it down, and they gave us a few days off because it was just too dangerous. And what are all the people from, you know, from Susquehanna County going to do when the whole pl the rest of the plant is shut down? But, uh, yeah, one night during the hardest point of the rain, we, we went up on the roof, and we could see back then down into the uh, river, and uh, the Mahopany Bridge was there. And we saw caskets, we saw cows, we saw uh, a building, like a cottage, hit the bridge. I mean, it was unbelievable. But let me tell you all of that. That was nothing compared to Luzerne County. All right? Let me show you some stats about Hurricane Agnes. Okay, 1972. Hurricane Agnes in Pennsylvania, 120. 28 people died. $3.1 billion of damage in, in, in 12 states. Okay, this is the 70s. That's a lot of money back then. I think it's still, still, the greatest natural disaster in Pennsylvania and, and is also the most expensive national disaster, uh, a natural disaster in, in Pennsylvania. Over 100,000 people were evacuated in our county, Luzerne County. Uh, and then in Luzerne County, 25,000 plus buildings were destroyed or damaged. Okay, Here's a quote from Penn State's history department on their website. Hurricane Agnes pummeled Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley. Listen to this. With 14, I don't know, I don't know who was out there measuring this. I, <laughs> 14 trillion gallons of water. I'm going to show you a picture about that in just a second. 
Submerging homes and destroying communities. If you live in the valley, sometime look up the stories of what happened in communities like Kingston and Forty Fort. I mean, it, it was just in downtown Wilkesbury. Okay, and the storm completely destroyed 3,500 homes while damaging 64,000 houses in Pennsylvania. 13,000 of those homes were located in Wilkesbury. In Kingston, only 30 of the 6,600 homes that comprised the town were left unscathed by the fury of Hurricane Agnes. That's a lot of water, right? Let me show you a couple pictures, okay? First of all, this is the picture from NOAA, the, uh, the, the people that do hurricane weather radar, the national weather, and it, you'll never be able to point it out with, with a pointer. But if you look up to the top of that's where, okay, obviously Florida's on the bottom, right? So if you keep going up to the top, you can see Pennsylvania, and there's an arrow there, and, and in central Pennsylvania, which is a little bit south of us, maybe Sunbury, and that is 15 inches of rain. But also where we, and then up above that is 10 inches of rain. You can see that. But also where Wilkesbury is centered, um, all of the rain, and that's what that's what said from the Coast Guard, and all of the water north of here, obviously flowed down and breached the levees in Wilkesbury, and then yeah, the the damage in Kingston and 44 were just unbelievable. Here's a picture of the valley. Nowadays, the Cross Valley Expressway would be in there as well, and just miles and miles and miles of land were completely underwater. And there are books where you can get a lot better pictures about this as well. And that's a picture of actually downtown Wilkesbury. And by the end of the flood for cleanup, they brought a Coast Guard vessel uh, down the uh, Susquehanna and actually helped people in Wilkes the Coast Guard. Because again, that was that that much water, and and it was it was unbelievable. Well, I tell you all of that to say this. That's nothing compared to the biblical flood. Fourteen trillion gallons of water, and it's nothing. A global flood. Um, if you are interested in studying about this, I know like. Peggy's brother, Al, has done a lot of study in Genesis and looked up some of the scientific uh, research that is available. I know probably a lot of you are familiar with the organization called Answers in Genesis, AIG, and uh, uh, Ken Ham is the founder of that organization. I, I don't endorse everything that he says or does, but their website is incredible, Answers in Genesis. And they're the people that built um, a life-size ark in northern Kentucky. If you would go to Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's just south of there, uh, right outside of the town of, of Covington, Kentucky, I think, Answers in Genesis, that organization raised the money, and they built a life-size ark. And it, it just dominates the countryside, even to this day. And it, that's, a, that's an amazing organization and and so sometime take a look at their website and there's a lot of articles about the details of the flood where where Ken Ham and his scientists are a lot more knowledgeable about the uh, the science of that than certainly than certainly I would be um, 
But what I want to talk with you about today is that uh, the human story of Noah. PGD read the story. Um, God said to Noah, and remember, as far as we know, there was no rain, there had been no floods, there had been no boats, no need for a boat. It, this, the, the world, I mean, we talked about creation, we talked about Adam and Eve, we talked about some of the early days of Bible stories already in our, in our series. And so the earth, humanly, was relatively young. And so God told Noah, and, and TGD read the story, God told Noah, I want you to build a boat. And Noah's response was, okay. That is absolutely amazing to me. Okay, Let me, I'm going to share with you some important facts that I just want to share with you that will uh, give us a little bit of clarity about the principles that I'm going to share with you about, about Noah, okay? So let me, let me just work our way. Again, if you, if you want more facts, uh, by the way, another book that's been around for a long, long, long time is, is a book that's called The Genesis Flood that is written by, uh, first of all, by, by Dr. Whitcomb, who was a professor for years and years and years at Grace Seminary in Indiana, and Henry Morris, a creation scientist from California. And uh, those two men collaborated on a book. I looked it up. You can still get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It is an incredible book, very easy to read, and gives you the details and will answer some questions because there's undoubtedly some of the science questions that you'll have from reading through Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. There's undoubtedly some questions. And those guys who are, my goodness, a lot smarter than me uh, have done a lot of work on that as well. But let, let's talk about that. It took Noah a hundred years to build the ark. He was, okay, in those days, again, this was before the flood, the global flood. When God went to Noah, the Bible said, and read Sometime, read Genesis chapter 5, about how long people lived. There, the, the world was different then. I don't think there's any doubt about that. If you read the story of the flood, it was as almost as if God had made this perfect chamber uh, on the earth of, that, that allowed for humans to flourish. And I remember one time one of my professors in Bible college said, well, Okay, it just seemed like people lived along, and they did. And then it goes way down after the flood, even though Noah lived several years after the flood. But it was almost as if God needed people to live that long to populate the earth, be fruitful to multiply. And I, I don't, I don't know for for sure. But Noah was uh, five hundred years old. God said to Noah, "I want you to build an ark." Amazingly, that, that Noah said, "Okay," and he was six hundred years. When the ark was finished. That's 100 years, right? Right? Okay. You're building a boat out in the middle of Palestine for 100 years. Don't, don't you think, first of all, and a boat that had, no one had any idea what you're doing? And if Noah, if that happened, that Noah, some, a lot of children's stories picture, like the, the townspeople coming out and making fun of him. And I'm not sure that Noah ever took the time to, you know, come down from his ladder or whatever and, you know, rounding up gopher wood 
or or whatever as he was building this and finding enough pitch, you know, for uh, for the ark and, and the the huge size of this boat. But but it was it was crazy that Noah was doing this, and and again it took a hundred years to build this, and 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 the, the, again those Sunday school stories of people coming out and uh, making fun of him and talking with him and wanting tours. Could you, right? Can't you just imagine that? And 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 a hundred years. I'm gonna probably mention this idea later on, but uh, a friend of mine said, and uh, and and his lessons about Noah's Ark. He said, uh, keep walking with God. Listen, he said, keep walking with God. When you're 500 years old, God may ask you to do something really big. <laughs> We're not going to get to 500 years old, but I do think there's a good lesson in faithfulness over the long haul. And even as we age and get older of still being willing to do whatever God would have us to do. And I think that's a good lesson for Noah. Uh, this was indeed a global flood. It says in this passage, and you could write down the references in, in, in chapter 4, verse 7, chapter 7 that TGD read, you can read Psalm 104, verse 6, that the mountains were covered. Now, again, folks, I'm not a scientist, but there's tons of websites that have pictures <coughs> of seashells that are found on the top of Mount Everest. Seashells. That as they climb the highest mountain in the world and start digging, that there's seashells there. And there's also pictures on, online of seashells that are found, lots of them, on the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so this was indeed a global flood. The boat, I, I showed the picture, and it's kind of down there. It's down there in the corner, and you can't see the picture now that's on the slide, but the boat wasn't designed to sail. The boat didn't have a motor. The boat didn't have a whole bunch of guys out there with, with oars, right? That didn't happen. No, it, it was just Noah and, the kid, and his wife and the kids, right? And so the boat was designed to just float, just float. And so if the boat was this week in the news, there, this week in the news, there was a, uh, a United States submarine that cost uh, United States uh, billions of dollars that ran into, look it up, that ran into a mountain underground or undersea, underwater, and they had to tow it back to the United States. That just happened. Well, that didn't happen to Noah's Ark. <laughs> they didn't run into some mountain. It, it floated over them. In fact, it landed on Mount Ararat, which is now a series of, and there's been all kinds of stories about even astronauts that, that, that have seen or found Noah's Ark. I, I don't know if that's true or not and, until, you know, somebody goes there, brings me a hunk of it or, uh, you know, says, Mel, let's go on a trip sometime and we'll go find Noah's Ark. I'm, I'm probably not that guy, right? But it, it's, it's an amazing story, okay? The Ark, and again, if you want more information about that, answers in Genesis and, and look on their website or go visit that, that Ark that they made sometime. The ark was, and again, look it up, uh, was plenty big enough of the sizes to contain Noah and his family and the animals. And the deck, TGD read that there's three different decks that were in there. And the animals, several times it says, after its kind, that doesn't mean necessarily that every individual species uh, was on the boat, but just enough to propagate the, 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 the species, the, the kind. The flood lasted 40 days. 
and the waters remained on the earth for 150 days. That's amazing. You know what 150 days are from today? April 6th. My dad's birthday. April, the beginning of April, the water, the flood lasted. Now, people in Wooksbury and, and Kingston and 44 and Tunkhannock were cleaning up for months after that. But the water was on the earth for 150 days. That's incredible. And then if you read on in the story about how Noah released a raven and then released doves as an indication of is there land out there because there's no indication that uh, Noah and the fam could look out and see. I mean, I don't know what the boat looked like, but that's what they did before it finally settled in the mountains and they were allowed to get out and be on, on dry land. So just think of how long that, that took. And then the source of this much rain. And, and two different times in the passage, in, Acts, or in Genesis 7 and, and chapter 8, the source of all this water was rain, but also God released the fountains of the deep. I'm not sure what that was and, and whether or not those still exist. Or, I don't know. But there are, there's evidence around the world that there's actually fissures, there's actually cracks in the bedrock that may have really, and, and obviously the Bible says that, so I believe that that's true. And then they've released the windows of heaven. And that means that there was this canopy, perhaps, of water above the atmosphere that then came down. And so that's why it flooded uh, globally and flooded so quickly. Now, again, if you have questions about the science, then you can look it up and read, read those two resources that I talked about. But today I want to I want to talk with you about Noah. And what I want to talk with us about, and this has been uh, incredibly encouraging and incredibly motivating to me personally this week. I think it's also, I, I think it is, uh, and really, I, I think it really has some important lessons for our church right now. And so uh, follow me as I go through this. I'm going to identify three characteristics of a person that God uses, using the life of Noah. Number one, I had TGD start at verse 8 of this chapter, of verse 8 of chapter 6. Verse 8 says this, that... Um, Noah found, I'm reading from the New King James, he read from the ESV, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's important to know, and, and, and Pastor Todd will talk more about this next week, that this lesson, this story, and, and it, it tells us that it's a story, right? I mean, it talks about in the beginning of, uh, well, of, right after that in verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah and, and so this is the story of Noah. Okay, and it, and it just told us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So let's, I, I talked with you about this, and I know you know this. The word grace in the Bible, all the way through the Bible, really means unmerited favor. Okay, on your notes, if you have them, you have a little uh, text box or whatever, you can write the definition in there. The unmerited favor, okay. Now, I want you to understand, we talk about number one, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that this is a story of God's grace. 
This is a story of God's ability. The last time I, I, I preached was the story of Adam and Eve and how the, ser the serpent, Satan, tempted Adam, or tempted Eve and then Adam to sin and make sinful choice, bad choices. Well, all throughout Scripture, there is a balance. And the balance here is that grace is God's unmerited favor. But there's also no doubt that, jo that, 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 that Noah was a man who was already living for God. Um, if you drop back up in, in this story, and uh, look, well, first, or drop down one verse. I, I'm in verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look at verse 9. This is the genealogy. This is the story of Noah and his family. And then it says this, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Now, that word perfect in my translation does not mean without error, without sin. It basically means grown up or mature. And so, but anyway, there's no doubt that in this story that, that Noah's testimony was, was sound, was solid. There's no doubt about that. But also I want you to understand that there's no doubt about the fact that this is something that God did. In other words, why did God pick Noah? I don't know. God did. God had something unbelievable in mind for, think about that, for Noah. At this stage of his life, and we're going to talk about this all the rest of the time today, Noah had no, Noah had no idea about the future, did he? He had no idea. Okay, build this ark. Okay. He gets out. He finds gopher wood. I don't, I don't know what that is, by the way. You know, and he, and he builds this ark, and he finds the pitch, and he builds the three decks, and, you know, and all of that. Noah, I mean, you start to think, okay, I'm going to send animals and all of that, that Noah probably had a little bit idea, but he had no idea. No idea what God had for him in the future. Let me suggest that lots of times in life we don't either. We have no idea. Can I tell you something and smile real big? The future's not up to you. The future's up to God. And that's a very good lesson for Noah. That's a very good lesson for us. We can trust God for anything. We can trust God for the future. That's God's business. And so there is a balance. I mean, right? I mean, Noah was mature and he was just and he was a godly man. Read the, read the text. There's no doubt that that was true. But God picked him because God did it. God wanted to use Noah. And, and so he did that. And so that idea of grace was that this is a story of God's unmerited favor. I've shared this verse with you lots of times before. This is actually my life verse. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says, The world, the things of the world are passing away, and the lust are the desires of it. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. I think the important thing to understand about God's grace in our lives too is that God is still at work and God still wants us to do what he wants. God still wants us to do his will. And God will still supply the strength and the energy for us to do what he wants us to do. I think that's the important thing about, about number one. God will always strengthen us. God will always strengthen us to do his will. Um, I need to tell you another story today. Some of you may remember this date. 
and, and maybe I should have put this date bigger. But on January 8th, 1956, five missionaries from the United States, they all were graduates of Wheaton College in Chicago, right around Chicago. At that time, 1956, that was the largest Christian college probably in, in the United States, maybe, maybe in the world, Wheaton College. And five men who went to school together at Wheaton decided to, be, decided to become missionaries to the headhunter tribe of the Alka Indians, A-U-C-A, in the mountains of Peru. And they raised their financial support. Some of them took families. Some of them had to leave their families and then catch up with them after the fact. And they had a little Piper Cub airplane. And one of the target groups was this tribe, AUCA, Alka Indians, that had never, as far as anthropologists know, who had never been reached with the gospel and who had never, ever seen a white man before. They would fly over in their yellow Piper Club, Cub, the mountains, and they noticed that this tribe was located by this river, and beside the river there was actually, and you understand, there was actually flat land. And so they wanted to do something to connect with people that had never, probably had never heard the gospel before, 1956. And so the story is that these five men, Peter Udarian, uh, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Nate St., Ed McCauley, and... Uh, Several of them, after the fact, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, is a very well-known Christian writer and has written a lot of books over the years, and her journal is available. And they would fly in with their piper and drop stuff and fly away, and they would drop, you know, fly and try to make contact. They would fly low and try to dip the wing and let the, let the Indians see that these were white men in the plane and all of that. And one day they decided that they were going to land and make contact not even knowing the language, but making contact. And by that time, the natives had started to wave at the plane, and they, they assumed that everything was friendly. And the five missionaries from Wheaton College landed their plane. And history tells us that within a few minutes, they were savagely martyred for Christ. That story that I about told you is, was made into a movie a few years ago that you can still get called The End of the Spear, and that was written by Nate Saint's son, who's still alive, who's still very, Steve Saint, and it was turned into a movie, The End of the Spear, and it really is. I've, I've seen it a, a couple times, a bunch of times, and, it, and it's been out probably 15, 20 years. Uh, it really is an incredible story with good acting. A lot, a lot of Christian movies don't have real good acting, right? <clears throat> but this does, the end, the, and professionally made about the man in the, in the picture about how he ultimately came to Christ. So here, here's the point of the story. These men were willing to do, even at the point of their death, were willing to do what God gave them to do. And in the end, it cost them their lives. But also, I tell, often I tell parents of teenagers, don't forget the end of the story is not written yet. The end of our story is not written yet. God is in, in charge of the future. And so God did use their lives to open the gospel to that tribe. And so much, even that their story, 
January 6th, January 8th, 1956, has had global ramifications about people that were willing to give their lives so that people would come to Christ and come to be, come be saved. Folks, God will always give us the strength to do his will. We have to be willing to say, okay, God, whatever. And that's exactly what Noah did. Number two, number two, Noah walked with God. In chapter, in chapter 6, verse 9, the very next verse, says that Noah, I'll read it, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in all of his generations. And, and Noah, and it says this several times in the passage, Noah walked with God. I, I hope you notice that the pattern of these characteristics that I'm telling you today, all are, are things that God actively does and did through Noah's life. And I love this phrase, Noah walked with God. You probably can imagine that I would love this phrase. It just proves that Noah was a walker too. Just ah, Yeah, no one, no one even chuckled at that. I did. You did, okay. Uh, yeah, it's okay. okay. Okay, see, Noah was a walker too. Walk with God. In fact, sometime Google it and look up that phrase. That, that, I think that is an interesting, really, really, really interesting concept in the Bible about our relationship with God, that God describes it as a walk, our relationship with him. I, I'm, not to be weird or anything. I mean, did you ever go on a walk with somebody? Right? Okay, hey, let's go for a walk. That implies you're not in a hurry, Right? I might have said to Peggy, I didn't, but I might have said to Peggy, let's go for a walk yesterday. And what I really meant is that I signed up to run the New York City Marathon. You're, you're nuts. I didn't even sign up to run in the Scranton Half Marathon. Those are days I try to leave the county, not, not go to close, you know. But, but they're not, it's not in a hurry. It's not a race. It's a walk, and there, it, it implies... That, that you're accompanying someone. And that word, walk, is often used in Scripture to teach us about our relationship with God. And so, yeah, the, the Internet, and, and even our minds right now, is filled with illustrating. I'm just taking a walk. I, I, I found a picture of these two old folks, they're, and they're probably my age, so it's okay I can say that, that these two old folks are taking a walk with their dog, Right? They're not in a hurry. You know, Fido there has a vest on, you know, so, you know, they're taking a walk. She's holding his arm, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of nice things about that, right? That analogy of a walk, let me, let me just suggest a few things to you. It implies relationship, and, and, I'm, and it implies intimacy. I'm sure that there are lots of times that you could go for a walk with somebody and not really have an intimate relationship with them. But there, that word is implied in that. It, there's a relationship. Again, we're not going to, the, the, the analogy is like, I'm not going to walk or, or to, to Sheets, or I'm not going to walk to the casino, and, and it implies just go for a walk. It implies that there's, uh, the end is undetermined, and that we're just, we're, we're just having a relationship together. And the Bible several times, look it up uses that analogy of walking as a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
it implies communication. The old people are walking, and I'm sure that, you know, okay, Fido, don't chase that squirrel. And, but the, it implies that they're, they're talking with each other. If you go for a walk, I, I mean, right? It's like the idea is that we're going to talk along the way. And, and, and we do that with God through prayer. There's been lots of times in my life where I've just gone outside and just pray, pray the whole time. And I think that's a very good picture of our relationship with God. It implies focus. No one else is there. You know, you're going to notice things on a walk that, uh, that you're not going to see. Um, remember, uh, if, you're from, if you're from around here, Channel 16, is it Mike Stevens? Is that his name, right? On the Pennsylvania Road, right? And he often is out in the middle of nowhere, and he finds a picture of a... And I, and I know, I, folks, I get it, that, that, that viewers send in pictures. But he finds a picture of a bumblebee that is just gorgeous. He finds a picture of a swan. He finds a picture of a leaf this week in water. To me, that picture was like it's freezing cold in that water. But it's, there's beauty there. And it, so it implies focus. If you're taking a walk with somebody, you're going to notice things that you probably didn't notice anywhere, anywhere else. You know, we're in the car, we're in 70 miles an hour down the highway. Okay, you can notice the color. But if you're taking a walk, it implies focus. And it implies action. You're, in a sense, you're on your way somewhere. We're doing something together. Now, all of those things are, are good pictures of what God wants our relationship to God to be. Okay, God said about Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God, God wanted to use Noah. There's no doubt about that. Noah responded, okay, God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. That's what God wants from us. God used Noah, and one of the things he tells us about Noah is that Noah walked with God. And God wants us to walk with him. And, and this is an internet picture. This is not, I mean, it's a cartoon, if you will, but there's Jesus and I, I actually found this, you know, on Google search, and I'm like, that's a good picture. I, I love that illustration, actually, where Jesus is walking alongside us, and Jesus has his arm around us. And, and so there's some things that are just really practical about this idea of walking with God. How do we, so how do we walk with God today? I'm going to do this quickly. Number one, commit to God's word and prayer. Physically, Jesus isn't there. But in a lot of ways, he is there with his arm around us, saying, don't forget, I already told you. And lo, I am with you always. No. Even to the end of the age. Our relationship with Jesus means that he's there. And it also means that we have responsibility and he has given us his word. Can I be really, 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 really bold? We can never have the relationship with God and with Jesus that we should have without being in his word. It is his word that teaches us about him. It is his word that teaches us about life. It's his word it is the revelation of God. And so without that, frankly, um, we could be uh, barking up a wrong tree. We could be headed in the wrong direction. 
And so the way we commune, if you will, our relationship with God by, think about that, taking a walk, is to listen. Listen to his word. Fill your mind with the word of God. God's, God's word often uses the term, you know, meditate. Fill our minds with the word of God. So that as we go through life, God's word comes back into our lives, sermons, devotions, things that we've learned, which is why the word of God is so important for our church. And then prayer, spending time in prayer and using that time to talk to God. That's really something that's very sweet and very special. Number two is actively serve him. Honestly, all the way through scriptures. Here, here's the thing. God told Noah, do something. What he wanted Noah to do is something really, really big. But he wanted Noah to do something. Um, we'll get there in a minute. But, but if you have a set of notes, turn to the back page. I'll, I'm going to warn you about the homework here in just a minute. But one of the things that we've done about that here, and I've done before, not always, but James 1.22 says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. James 1.22. And I think, I think, Every time we come to the Word of God and God speaks to us, that what God wants us to do is say, okay, God, what do you want me to do as a result of what you've taught me? God wants us to practice His Word, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. God went to Noah and said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. Noah's like, okay. And I love the Old Testament characters of many times. God told them to do something incredibly hard. And they didn't say anything. They're like, oh, okay, I love that. I, I, to be real honest with you, that, that's what I want my response to be. For my kids, my wife, my grandkids, for me, okay, God, I'll, I'll do your will. Actively serve him. And then fellowship with his people. One of the great ways, Pastor Todd talked about that this morning, you know, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. One of the reasons we do that is Jesus is here. We fellowship with the Lord. We fellowship with his people. Read 1 John. By hanging out with God's people in our time, in all of the channels of history, it's through his church. That is what God wants from us. That is a, that is a big deal. And if we're going to walk with God, then those three things, and there's probably others, but those three things are going to be incredibly important. Can I show you a verse? Micah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Many of you probably have heard this verse before. Micah 6.8 says this. What, is, what does the Lord require of you? To ju do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me, let me suggest that this relationship with God that I'm talking with you about, let me just suggest that it has to be a relationship of humility. If it's a relationship where we think that we can tell God no or that we can tell God, hey, I have a different plan, I think Americans in the 21st century, that's probably one of our biggest struggles is that we want to talk God out of it and that we want to, we want to explain, to, well, God, I'd rather do it this way. You're my friends, right? Don't, don't feel, you know, don't, change your view of me. This, if, this, if this substantiates your view of me, okay, fine, well, that's fine. Uh, this week I was sick. I called my doctor because she has told me to call the doctor. And she's like, uh, okay, now I'll call in um, a couple of medicines for you. 
Um, there was one of the medicines that I didn't take. <gasps> well, there's actually reasons, right? There's actually very good reasons, right? But I'm very, very afraid. And that, that made me think this week. What I did to my doctor is what we do for, what we do to God. And that is, God, I have a better idea. Now, I can justify, I think, my view to my doctor. And if I am not around next week, you'll know why. Mel never didn't take his medicine. You know, Mel had a better idea. But to walk humbly before your God is for us. This, this is God. It's not some human doctor. It's not our spouse. It's not culture that we think we can talk God out of it and say, God, I have a better idea. This is us saying to God, yes, sir, I'm doing it. Yes, sir. And I think, I think that's a, a key lesson from this. And to walk humbly means that we're not going to walk with God in pride. Right? Number three, and I'm done. Noah did, and, and obviously we talk about this, according to all that God commanded. All that God commanded. Really... That, that's all that God wants from any of us. It's fun for us to listen to him and for us to obey his commands. That's what God wants from us. You'll notice by reading the word of God, God didn't stutter. God didn't give us 10 suggestions. God didn't give us a list of maybes. God says over and over and over again, do this. And our response needs to be like Abraham, like Noah, yes, sir. And implicitly, Noah implicitly, Follow the directions. He's not like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Online, I can find, a, I can find a, a blueprint for an ark. And, of course, that didn't happen. Or have a different plan. Or, God, all of us could move to the top of Mount Everest and, and live through the flood. Well, of course, that didn't happen either. Noah's like, okay, God, God, you said it, I'm doing it. And I think that that needs to be our response a whole lot more than it is. In Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is the great hall of faith chapter. Noah is mentioned there, right? In all the list of the great saints who were described by their faith. Noah's in there. That makes sense to me. Noah ought to be on that list. And it's found in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11. Read that chapter. There's, there's, it's, it's like a history lesson of God's servants. It's amazing, but... Chapter 11, Hebrews 11, verse 7 says this. By faith, being, listen to this. This is why I underline this. Being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Noah had no idea about the future. He had no idea. He had no idea what an ark was. He had no idea what rain was. He had no idea what a flood was, let alone a flood that was going to kill everybody, destroy the whole earth, except for those that listened implicitly to God's, God's instructions. He had no idea. And I think the story of Noah needs to be that we don't know about the future. But we do know now. And what we know now is that God wants us to follow his commandments. And so... It says there that he moved or he acted with godly fear. 
Yeah, it, it, it is true that all the way through the Bible, that, that we've talked to you about that here too, Pastor Todd and me, that through the Bible we look at fear and what we want it to say, well, that means reverential trust, and yes, it does. But also, you know what fear means in the Bible? Fear. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's important to be scared to death. There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. And listen to what God is saying Pastor Todd's going to talk about the gospel implications of this story, how God saved those out of the flood and how God is doing that out of the flood of sin today, how God is still doing that. But we have no idea about the future, and yet God wants us to say, yes, sir, and move ahead with that godly fear. And there's a tons of illustrations in life where we don't know and we might be scared to death but we still need to do what God would have us to do. Okay, on the back page. I said, I think every time we come to a Bible study and that we need to ask ourselves, okay, God, what do you want me to do? James 1, 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay, so after all I've said, the three characteristics of Noah, Noah found grace, Noah walked with God, Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Those were, those were the three points. Okay, what do we do about that? Okay. I'm going to suggest three, but maybe the Holy Spirit has, has something else in mind. So if that's true, write that down. And what are we going to do as a result of this message today? I, I think number one is that basically this, we need to do what God wants us to do and trust him with the results. God wants us to say, yes, sir. And trust him for the future. I don't think there's any doubt that that's what God wants all the way through Scripture. God wants us to say, yes, sir, and not worry about the future. Because he's the one who will provide anyway, right? Number two, <laughs> be sure to walk with God, folks, and stay close to him. If there's any way to navigate all of the garbage that's going on in our culture, it's walk with God, stay close to him. I suggested some things. Prayer, God's word, serving, God's peace, and then fellowshiping with God's people because I think those are biblical concepts. God wants us to stay close to him. God, God wants you to stay close to him. He does. And that's that take a walk idea, number three. Trust God for the future. Even in times of uncertainty, read this passage. Twice it says the earth was filled with violence. The earth was filled with sin and corruption. And God, God, God is a God of intentionality, obviously. God did not change his mind. He didn't. You can study, you need to study this on your own. But God, God does what God wants to do. This story is God's sovereignty in action. God's in charge. That's the story of Noah. God's, God's sovereignty is in action. And this was certainly a time of uncertainty. Noah had to put up with this for 100 years. Building something you have no idea. Building something you had no idea. Then all of a sudden one day, get in. God closes the door. And, and oh my goodness, now what's going to happen? And there was rain for 40 days and 40 nights and water on the earth for 150 days. Even in times of certainty. And then throughout all of this, 
is make a commitment to be used by him. I think there's no doubt from the life of Noah that Noah was a man, because he was willing to do what God wanted him to do, was a man for all eternity, was somebody that said, I'm going to be by, by used of God. And now, one of the great passages in the Bible, Genesis and even Hebrews, the stories of, of Jonah, or even of Noah. Because God, he was a man that was willing to say, God can use me, and he was greatly used by God. Now, it's different, certainly. And the rainbow in the sky, finish reading the story. God's never going to destroy the world again with a global flood. The rainbow, the end of the story that we didn't read. Man, it's a, it's a beautiful account. And quickly, man turns sinful again. You can read about that, too. But I think the lessons for Noah are that God wants us to say, yes, sir, I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray that we would learn the lessons from Noah. He found grace in your eyes. He had unmerited favor. There's no doubt that, God, you picked Noah, but there's also no doubt that balance that he walked with you. So, Father, help us to walk with you. Help us to stay close to you. And, oh, oh God, I, I pray that you'd help us to be used by you in lives of, of others, where we work in our families, in our community, of people that we come in contact. Oh, God, help us to be used by you. God, help us to stay close to you. Help us to live for you and, and, and help our 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 habits of our life be that we're people who are willing to say, yes, sir, I'll do what you want me to do. Father, thank you for this story in the Bible. Thank you for even giving me strength to share it this morning. And God, use it in our hearts and our lives for your glory for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, everybody, thanks. And uh, thanks for praying. See you.